I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, congestion charges. Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown reckons it's what we need to solve the city's gridlock. It's a simple solution. Well tried around the world, nothing particularly new about it. Do away with plans of multi-billion dollar tunnels and motorways, he says. A time of use charge of up to $5 at peak travel on busy main roads is the answer. And he's in a hurry to make it happen. Auckland's mayor is vowing to keep the pedal to the metal when it comes to work on possible congestion charges for the city. The Transport and Infrastructure Committee has endorsed creating a team to progress time-of-use charging. If you're not in a rush, nothing happens here other than the speed of global warming. And so you have to put pressure on things to happen. And so I'm impatient because these things that I'm fixing should have been addressed years ago. But if they're the quick and easy answer to our transport woes, why has the debate on congestion charges dragged on for more than a decade so far? Today I talk to an urban design expert about how they work overseas and why a bit of congestion is good. But first, Stuff's Auckland correspondent Todd Nile has been reporting on transport woes for years. OK, are you ready to go? Yep. So... Todd, what is a time-of-use congestion charge? Time-of-use seems to be the new phrasing they use for what we call congestion charge because I guess when it was first being talked about 12 years ago, the model was something like London where you had a ring around a spot and anyone who crossed it from any point paid that thing. Time-of-use, I guess, is just a bit more sophisticated. It has different charges, different times of day, um, and you might put it on some roads into a certain area and not others. So it's it's possibly more subtle and less blanket. How would the charge actually be put in place? I mean, I think in London they have some kind of disc, but would it be, you know, cameras reading number plates? From what they're talking, the, the current technology seems to be number plate recognition, which is like the, the toll road north of Auckland. You drive past the gantry there, it reads your number plate. If you've got an account, it just pings the money off your account automatically. So the technology is pretty straightforward. It's all the other stuff that's not. Yeah, they've been talking about it for 12 years. Why, why isn't it in place? If it's a good thing, why isn't it in place already? It is a new thing for New Zealand, I guess. Uh, and there was a lot of work put in early on in the life of Auckland Council, led by the first mayor, Len Brown. They had big studies uh, and consultation to look at different ways of funding Auckland's transport needs. And it came up with a congestion charge as part of the mix. And we sort of forget, but that is already the path that we decided to go on. We've got, at the moment, a regional fuel tax for Auckland that was always envisaged as a 10-year tax that would precede the introduction of a congestion charge. Uh, So the the fuel tax is set to run to 2028, but the work that's gone on mostly at the government end on a congestion charge or a time-of-use charge just seems to have gone on forever without much coming out the other end of it yet. And Wayne Brown is saying that the previous government supported it, but this government maybe not, and it's all to do with politics. The last government was ready to put this in, but the, but the current government sort of opposed it on the on the, on the old basis of my party's better than your party type thing. 
In the work done so far, it got sort of a broad cross-party support. Uh, it went through a select committee. The select committee agreed that this was a good thing to do. There's been legislation drafted. But it seems that the legislation just wasn't far enough up the queue to go through before the election came. I don't know that the incoming government or what we've heard from the National Party is necessarily against the idea. They... I guess they may have a different view on the details of it because one of the the big decisions that has to be made is where does it sit on a scale between being something that is simply trying to get people to change how they travel and, and what time and, and whether they use buses or cars or is it a great big revenue-gathering device? Do you put a, a great big fee on there to try and raise money perhaps more than changing people's behaviour? So that... Where everybody sits on that scale is not yet clear. Well, and Wayne Brown seemed to be suggesting that raising money is not the primary aim of it. It's about dealing to gridlock. And also he's saying that it's a much cheaper solution to our gridlock. Central government have spent hundreds of millions of dollars planning tunnels under harbours, which we don't need, tunnels under Dominion Road, which we don't need. Is it an alternative or is it another way of dealing with it? The emphasis so far has been seeing it as a tool to raise a bit of money because you've got to have a fee to get people to change what they do. If it's too cheap, people will simply keep driving at the same time of day to the same places that they do now. You've got to make it a bit more expensive for people to go, "Mm, hang on, do I need to drive into the central city at 8 in the morning or can I put it off until 9.30? And if you can spread that volume of traffic, you know, more evenly across the day or reduce the volume of traffic by having a charge, then, you know, obviously it will reduce the need to build new stuff in the future. How much that would be, who knows? There's talk about equity. A number of councillors hold concerns about equity and the impact on lower income families. I mean, this equity stuff's bollocks. This is about traffic. Is it fair on, say, people who use their cars all day long for work, like tradies? Is it bollocks? tradies go make five, two or three dollars to get a tradie off the road. They should have been at work by then anyhow for a starter. And um, they could start a bit earlier. And tradies charge out at a hell of a rate these days, mate. Or people who just have to be at work by a certain time of the day and there's no flexibility. There has been up to this point a lot of discussion about equity, but more in the sense of how do the lower income parts of Auckland deal with this? You know, is it going to be punitive at the times of day that people are going to do shift work or or travelling from where they live to where, say, an industrial centre is because there's not good enough public transport? You've got someone working in a factory, a low-income worker who has to travel. Well, they'll have started by then. They'll have started by seven. You don't know that. Well, there's no reason why they can't. So in terms of equity, it's mostly been about the ability to pay. The things such as high users like tradies or people who are on the road the whole day can be relatively easily dealt with by having a cap, you know, as as other cities do with public transport, that you can hit a point where it's $20 a day or whatever and use as much beyond that as you want. So there are all those issues to be dealt with, but I think that the key one will be the impact that it has on lower-income families uh, and who are perhaps doing trips 
that aren't necessarily well catered for by public transport. Wayne Brown is talking about a charge of, I think, between $3.50 to $5. In London, they charge $25, I believe. I mean, is $5 going to deter people? Well, I don't know. I mean, this is New Zealand, isn't it? And this is something new. And and the $3.50 mark is kind of the area that's been talked about through the various studies and the work that have been done. So three fifty to 5 I guess, possibly does sound like a ballpark figure, given that there might be a cap if you're going to cross it a lot of times during the day. But uh, it would, you know, they, they also have these kind of tolls around Sydney and on some roads there. And for people who are travelling out of Sydney on some of the tolled motorways, for example, the, the fees can mount up pretty quickly. I guess the, the big discussion will be, A, the level of the charge, but B, what is there for a person if they decide they don't want to take their car or their van or whatever from A to B? Is there really a genuine public transport alternative? <laughs> and there's a train that goes past and it's quite full, but there's room for more. Um, there's buses everywhere that, uh, that uh, quite a lot of my councillors and others are uh, complaining, well, they're not full. Well, you know, this was another encouragement for that. Or, or alternatively, um, you could get a motorbike. I was reading in The Guardian that the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, last year ruled out a congestion charge. But are you saying that they do have tolled roads? Yes, yeah, so they don't have a congestion charge going into the city centre as such, but they do have, you know, public-private partnership motorways that have been built and are funded through a toll charge. And and I don't know the detail of it, but some of it gets quite complicated where the charges are so high that there are sort of rebates offered on your car registration and things like that to try and balance it out. But um, I guess the thing with Sydney is it has, you know, historically a long-established, really big public transport system, particularly with rail, where the the government there can probably point to and say, look, you know, we have got other ways of getting into town. One of the big debates with Auckland is going to be, you know, some people will say the public transport system is good enough, but there are going to be people who say, well, actually not. You know, I can't get from A to B, uh, you know, using public transport as it is now, which is why the date has kind of been put out to when the big city rail link comes online, which is probably around 2026 as the time when a congestion charge or a time-of-use charge might come in and Auckland can say, well, look, our public transport network is now mature enough that we think we've provided enough alternatives. Do you think uh, Wayne Brown is correct in saying that we don't need any more public consultation? Well, consultation is bollocks as well. This is one of the planks that I stood in when I came went to be the mayor. So we consulted widely, and 180,000 people chose to vote for me. That's more than a vote for anybody else in New Zealand. And so there's consultation for a start. They expect me to do things to fix Auckland. I don't think he's right on that. The mayor talks a lot about the mandate that he's got from Aucklanders basically being enough for him to move on and do whatever it was that he was talking about during the campaign. It's not going to work like that. Uh, you remember the number of people who voted for Wayne Brown is no different from the one number of people who voted for Phil Goff before him. So there's nothing new about the mandate that this mayor has. 
the mayor is quite right that this thing seems to have dragged on for a long time and it does need to move more quickly. But I don't think, you know, it's going to move to implementation without some form of public consultation. People are going to want to know what is the plan in detail, how is it going to affect different parts of town and have an opportunity to put their views on whether they think it's a fair and equitable system. So, you know, in in the fast-moving world of Wayne Brown, he might think there's been enough consultation and there's been a lot, but it's also way in the past uh, and whether whether it's relevant to the issues that people face today with cost of living and transport costs and so on, I think there will need to be some form of consultation before the implementation comes. So it's not going to happen as quickly as he wants it, obviously. It's not going to happen before Christmas and it may not happen next year. Well, we still we still need the legislation and what Auckland Council and Auckland Transport are talking about now is while waiting for that legislation and while waiting for some of the big public transport projects to be finished, like the city rail link, that they can start working on the details. There doesn't seem to be really any possibility that it can come in within two or three years' time. Tim Welch is a senior lecturer in urban planning at Auckland University. He knows all about how congestion charges work in other places. The general consensus is that they are pretty successful, and we've had you know, 30, 40 years of studying how they've been implemented from Singapore in 1975 through London, Milan, Stockholm, uh, sporadically uh, in the States uh, on corridors. So we have a lot of data that suggests that they are pretty successful. Successful what for, for dealing to gridlock? Surprisingly, they're successful on a lot of fronts. They're good at reducing the number of vehicles entering a city. They're good at reducing then congestion, increasing public transportation, reducing emissions, uh, reducing all sorts of other pollutants that people breathe in, noise in the city. Um, And one of the other side effects is they're really good at increasing travel time for people that really need to be in the city. So, you know, in Auckland, it would be people like tradies um, or buses themselves that have to go. So um, they're they're really broadly successful. It's something that's been supported for years and years. Um, Surprisingly, we rarely come together over transportation issues. uh, But this is something that's pretty broadly accepted because people sit in traffic so much every day. So it really, yeah, the the. The details are what will matter um, at some point here. Uh, But the big thing is starting to really charge that true price of traffic and then draw down some of those cars in the city. But do you think that will work? I mean, what is it called? It's called a time-of-use congestion charge. So it would be on certain main roads is my understanding. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, so what happens is, I mean, the the number we always throw around, which I think is interesting, is that 90% of roads are uncongested 90% of the time. So what we're trying to do is target that 10% of roads during that 10% when they're really congested. And that's always the morning peak and the afternoon drive home. And so if you can start to address that, it helps push people out to maybe travel a little bit later or use an alternative mode during those hours. And it's a good starting point, uh, but I think it'll have to be modified once it's implemented to kind of better target how people adjust their travel behaviour over time. If everybody's so supportive of it, why is it taking so long? 
I think it's with anything. I mean, why does it take us so long to reduce the number of car parks on major corridors that could use buses or protected bike lanes? Um, it's just anytime something about transportation or addressing cars or, you know, the, this kind of flight or fight response is, oh, you're going to take my car away from me. Um, it gets really politically sensitive. Uh, and so even though it's been supported um, by most major parties and it's been supported by the public to some degree, uh, it's just something that politicians don't necessarily want to stick their neck out on. But we can draw from the successes of places like London. I mean, if you want some stats, at London's congestion charge started 20 years ago now, in, in 2003. Um, and within the first year, they saw something like a 15% reduction in traffic coming into the cities and a 30% decrease in the congestion uh, overall in the city and a 30% bump in the number of people using buses in the city to come into the city. And that's with just a five-pound charge. Uh, so it can be really successful. Um, and it's given them the breathing space to do a lot of things like move buses more quickly through the city, uh, build more cycling and walking space. Um, really, London now is becoming one of the cycling capitals of the world because they have fewer cars in the city to compete with. It does come back to that, that productivity thing that we hear about a lot, that Auckland is a very unproductive place because of the amount of time that is spent you know, sitting in gridlock on the motorways. That's right. I mean, the it's not just people sitting in traffic. So we do want some congestion. I mean, it's a sign of a good city. If you go to a city and you see, you know, no congestion at all, uh, there's something going on, right? Either you're in the middle of a major pandemic like we saw recently or the city, nobody wants to be there for some reason. Uh, so some level of congestion is always a good sign for the city. Uh, but the levels that we've reached in Auckland um, are starting to creep into the point where it does, yeah, make it really difficult to do things. There's a, something we call in planning the planning time index. Um, and what we think about when we try to uh, decide how we plan for more modes and how bad your city is, is how big that planning time index is. And it's the amount of time that you add to your trip just to get somewhere because one day it might take you 10 minutes and the next day it might take 45 minutes. And that's the really tough part of congestion is the is you can't predict how long it'll take you to get from point A to point B. Uh, and so a congestion charge, even if it doesn't take away all the congestion, it evens out that flow and makes your trips much more predictable. Mm. Um, and so that's one way to start to address uh, some of the feeling of unproductiveness as you sit in your car each day. Um, even if you do have to sit in your car in congestion, you can reduce uh, how much time you have to leave ahead of time and how much time you're sitting at your destination too early. How much congestion is good congestion? That's a, that's a hard number to put on it. Um, we do know that typically, uh, it's called the Marchetti Constant, that people will travel 30 minutes per day, uh, no matter how much technology they have, no matter how fast the city flows, they'll continue to travel that. So they'll live farther away if there's less traffic. Um, so somewhere where you can get to work and back in 30 minutes um, is an ideal amount of time. Uh, in a city as spread out as Auckland, we'd probably extend that number a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, it, sitting still for you know, 10, 15 minutes is, is probably too long um, when we start to talk about you know, congestion on our major corridors. What about uh, Wayne Brown's argument uh, that 
if we bring in these congestion charges, we won't need to spend the hundreds of millions, the billions of dollars on things like harbour tunnels or tunnels under Dominion Road. I think those were two examples, or more motorways. Yeah, that's exactly right, actually. So the thing is, roading is the only part of our limited resources that we don't use in a traditional economic model. So almost every other industry and every other sector will use some form of congestion charging to manage demand uh, instead of just increasing supply, right? The supply here being motorways or tunnels or whatever else. So if we look at airlines, they charge more around holidays or when there's higher demand. We call it dynamic pricing. Uh, Ride-hailing companies like Uber uses surge charging in order to draw down the demand. They're not just trying to make a profit, but they're trying to push down demand at the peak hours. Uh, So we see it all over. Even buses do this now, public transportation. If you want to ride during the peak at 8 o'clock in the morning to get to work, you pay more now in Auckland than you would at 1 p.m. in the afternoon or whatever other time. Uh, So it's something we use almost everywhere else except for our roads. We treat them like they have to be free all the time. They're a public good. So one of the ways to better manage this vast resource we have, hundreds of thousands of kilometers of road, uh, is to start to charge for them, reduce the number of vehicles on them, and then use them more efficiently. You've studied other parts of the world and you've lived in other parts of the world. What do you make of the whole transport situation in Auckland? I mean, it's just, it seems for, for a relatively small city, it seems really problematic. Well, part of the problem is we have a lot of cars and it's really cheap to drive. It may feel expensive to drive uh, in Auckland, but uh, compared to many other cities, it is very cheap. The parking is underpriced and plentiful in the city. Uh, It's really easy to buy a cheap secondhand car. Um, There's not many fees associated with it except for, you know, your annual registration and WAF and, um, you know, maintenance and things like that. But other than that, it's it's a pretty low barrier to driving. And so we're at the point where one in uh, nine in 10 people have a car in New Zealand. And that's a huge number. It's it's one or two in terms of the most cars in the world per person. Um, and so that's part of it, that many people with that many cars. Uh, and as a long-term effect, it means that we've invested much less in public transportation. Uh, we've invested much less in other shared modes or sustainable modes that would take people out of their cars. Um, and so it's just built up from there. But it's not unlike almost every other major city in the world that's grappled with this. There's a few that have done it well, uh, but like any other kind of big, sprawling city, uh, we've torn apart our original public transportation system on rails and replaced it with cars, and now we're, you know, 40, 70 years on, we're grappling with the, the ramifications of that with no real way to address it yet. So could congestion charges, could that be the thing that breaks our habit? It's possible. It, it looks like, I mean, judging by the effects in London, um, the effects in Stockholm, Milan, other places that have done it, um, it's definitely a strong candidate for one of the things that kind of will bring us back. But it can't work in a vacuum. Mm. So if we're going to implement that charge, we also have to be serious about what we do with public transportation. We have to give people affordable alternatives. What we do with uh, cycling and walking infrastructure, all those things have to 
go together with our congestion charge. Uh, if we just do one, uh, it's, it's more of a penalty than it is a reduction in driving. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benj. Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison are our producers. Thanks to Todd Nile and Tim Welch. Mā te wā.